All right. Well, a little bit of housekeeping. So I just wanted to say to whoever cleaned the closet in the kitchen, thank you. Great job. We'll give it, just give the Lord praise for it. So I don't even want to know who it was, but I did notice right away. So thank you. Who doesn't want to study two more chapters of random geography in the, of Israel from millennia ago that nobody knows anything about here personally? And who, if you're like me, a long time ago, if someone had told you, you know, hey, uh, you know what sounds like a good Wednesday night? Ancient Israel geography. You'd be like, no. No, that doesn't sound like a good time. But then as you begin to fall in love with the Lord, you get to learn His Word, you learn the Bible, He just changes your taste for things. And then you find out that even though we're going to be skimming over a little bit tonight, you're just as excited. And hopefully this evening we're going to find out why, why that's important, how that's applied, why these things are in the Bible. And then we're going to see the rest of the nations and tribes, excuse me, the tribes of Israel getting their land and their Uh, positions in the geography. Let's go before the Lord in prayer, and we're going to look at chapters 18 and 19 tonight, if He wills it. Lord, we thank You so much for Your grace and Your mercy. We pray that You would continue to teach us and direct us as we grow in Your Word, that You would apply every word, every verse, every chapter, and every book to our lives, Lord, and more importantly, applying our lives to Your glorious mission and Your kingdom. We pray that your will would be done this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're picking up where we left off in the last three chapters. We did three chapters last week. If you missed it, you missed a lot. That being said, we saw the first few tribes getting their land. We saw Caleb getting his land. Um, we, we saw some, some graphs or some pictures that were showing us. Because if you're like me, you're a visual learner. And just reading about rivers and roads and towns and mountains is a little difficult, especially a place that you've never been to before. This evening, we're going to start in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 18, and then, yes, we're going to go back to the map. So let's read together, where it says, Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes, which had not yet received their inheritance. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Pick out from among you three men for each tribe, and I will send them. They shall rise and go through the land, survey it according to their inheritance, and come back to me. And they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall remain in their territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall remain in their territory on the north. You shall therefore survey the land in the seven parts and bring the survey here to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. But the Levites have no part among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan to the east, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. Then the men arose to go away, and Joshua charged those who went to survey the land, saying, Go walk through the land, survey it, and come back to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the land in the Lord in Shiloh. So this is an interesting 
situation that's happening here. In the last few chapters, a few of the tribes have been given their land. Uh, Judah's been giving their land, Manasseh. We know the other half tribe has been giving its land on the Jordan side, on the eastern side, excuse me, western side of the Jordan. Eastern, I was right the first time. Eastern side. And now the rest of the tribes are gathered together at this town called Shiloh. I'll, I'll share with you where that is in a minute. We'll look at the map. But what's interesting here is, is Joshua calls them out, and he says there in verse 3, how long will you neglect, emphasis there on neglect, to go and possess the land which the Lord your God, your fathers, have given you? So they're camped there, these seven tribes, and they don't want to take the next step. There could be a couple of reasons for this. This is when you have to be, it's dangerous when you're reading the Word. We know they're neglecting, so we know they're supposed to go and they're not. But why is not written? So we're going to infer a little bit, at least I am. I believe that they're just so used to that nomadic lifestyle of hanging around the tabernacle that they don't want to go in a different direction. From the time they were little kids, remember the, the former generation has passed away, they've always been following the, the tabernacle through the desert for 40 years and then through five years of war, and that's just what they know. And now they got to go take this new step of faith and go to this new land and they got to live in houses of stone or have fixed walls. They've never done that before. They've never been separated before. All the tribes were together. Remember when we were uh, in the previous books, when they traveled through the 40 years in the desert, they were given the exact place to place their tent from each tribe around the tabernacle, we saw how it showed a picture of the cross. But now that's gone. The tribes need to separate and go their different ways and take their land, and they need to live in that land, and they also are going to be away from the tabernacle. And so they're just used to doing things. Now, again, I don't want to say that's what it is because we really don't know. But can you see an application here for you? When the Lord wants you to do something new, whether it's a new way of doing things in your household, a new way of having a marriage, a new way of raising kids, you're living in a new state for the majority of us. It's a new culture. And what do we always lean on? What do we always go back to? Well, we do know where we're from, what we're comfortable with, what we understand. And we're always going back to what we're comfortable with. And then we find ourselves in a situation where we say dumb things like, well, I've always just been this way. Why do, why do I say it like that? Because the Bible tells us, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we're a new creation. All things are created new. Gone are the former things. Gone are the former ways. And so we need to sit with the Lord and ask Him, Lord, where do you want me to go? Do you want me to be a stronger person, able to be in more confrontations in a good way? Am I too confrontational? Do I need to be softer? Lord, do I need to lead in my marriage as I'm called to do? Or do I need to submit in my marriage as I'm called to do? Is there a specific role that you want me to have that I'm not used to? Or is there a specific role I'm supposed to give up? And, and you can apply those in multiple different ways. Either way, here, the children of Israel, those the tribes that are left, are neglecting. We see that in verse 3? How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord your God the Lord, the, the Lord God of your fathers has given you. You know what else is really cool? 
It says, pick out from among you three men and go send them out. Survey the land and then come and report back. You, you ever prayed a prayer? Lord, I pray that you would open a door for me and close a door when you don't want me to go that way. You know, many times the Lord lets you pick. Some of you prayed to move to South Carolina. Like, oh, Lord, do you want us to move to Bluffton? Do you want us to move to Hilton Head? Do you want us to move there? Would you open a door and close a door? And some of you are just like, yeah, I like the beach. I want to go. I like golfing, and I like the beach. We're going to Hilton Head. It's cheaper there. Works for my 401K. The Sun City thing sounds kind of cool or whatever the situation is. And you just went for it, and you found out the Lord chose it. You know, oftentimes, if you're seeking the Lord, He will let you choose. Lord, I just want you to pick one job for me, the perfect job. No, go spy out the land, check it out, go drop your resume off at 47 different places. You got seven interviews, and three of them come back and say, hey, we'd like you to take the job. Lord, I didn't tell you to open three doors, open one. That's not how it works. You got to take some steps of faith. You got to go places you're not used to, you're uncomfortable with, and try things out. We're walking with the Lord. We're not drugged by the Lord. That's what people like. They, they want the Lord to just drag the Lord. I'll just sit here, lead me where I need to go. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. So you've got to be uncomfortable once in a while. Here, it seems, remember, we don't know, the nation of Israel is getting a little too comfortable. All right, so what about this town Shiloh that they keep talking about? Shiloh is very important. And it's going to be very important, especially going into the book of Judges all the way up to the time of David, when David brings the tabernacle, the tabernacle, he brings the ark to Jerusalem, and they end up building the temple. Because the tabernacle is going to be placed at Shiloh for a very long time. That's the tent where the ark is. That's where the table of showbread is going to be, the incense. That's where the Holy of Holies is going to be. And it's going to be camped there. So where is it? Let's go back to our map that we had last week. We want to give all credit to Ralph Elf Wilson, I know that he's a, a pastor. I know nothing about him, but he made this thing. That means I don't recommend him. I don't know if he has crazy teachings or if he's a right-on brother. It's just a map, but I want to give him credit. Shiloh is at the top of Ephraim. See that big yellow Manasseh there? In the middle of Ephraim, it's more to the north of where Jerusalem is. Notice how Shiloh is very centrally located to the entire nation of Israel. It's the center. It's the heart of Israel. It's not the city that the Lord has chosen that will be Jerusalem, but for the next few centuries, it's the tabernacle is going to be there in the middle. So when we get into the book of Judges next week, next week, man, I'm really going to jump through it. In our next book, in our next book, when we get to the book of Judges and you hear they went down to Shiloh, they went down to Shiloh, they went down to Shiloh. That's what they're talking about in the middle of that area of Ephraim. When we talk about Jerusalem, you're always going to read in the Bible, they went up to Jerusalem. They went up to Jerusalem. They went up to Jerusalem. Every direction they go up to the city on the hill. Remember, Judah is there. East Manasseh is there. Manasseh in the middle is there. And Gad is on the western side of the Jordan. That line there between Manasseh and Gad, that is the Jordan River. All the other areas at this part of the writing of the book of Joshua are blank. They're not filled in. They don't know where they're going yet. And they've been, the whole nation's been camping there in the center of that area of Ephraim. I'm sure Ephraim's like, hey, you know, we finally got our land. You guys, you guys mind, you know, skadoodle? We got stuff to do here? But we really don't know. 
Now that leads us to one other thing I want to talk about. Why is this important to us? Why is it that for five chapters, three last week, two this week, in painstaking detail, the borders of the nations, the tribes of Jerusalem, I, don't, I can't speak today. I'm going to give up here pretty quick. Lord, help me with my speech. With these 12 tribes of Israel, why is it that we have five chapters that the Lord decided that for millennia, for eternity, are going to be written in His Word and that we need to learn about it now? One reason is this is very foundational. You know, we're going to be talking about places and people um, throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament about where certain tribes are and why. Uh, Take, for example, when the ten tribes of the north are taken captive by the Assyria, Assyria, why are there ten tribes? Why are they the northern tribes? Why are they not the southern tribes? Why is it that Judah and Benjamin stay loyal to the nation of Judah And they're taken captive by the Babylonians later on. Why is it that they were separated? This map and this understanding of where these tribes are tell us a lot. It tells us a lot about the nation of Israel. You know what else is fascinating? Notice Simeon. Simeon there is in the middle of Judah. Why then is it the two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, that stayed loyal to the house of David, and it's the ten tribes of the north. What happened to Simeon? Did they just, like, jump up there? Well, I went down a two-hour rabbit hole trying to figure that out. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I, was, I had no idea until we were doing this study. It seems, it seems that Simeon gets smaller and smaller and smaller and that it gets absorbed into Judah. So when they say Judah and Benjamin, they're talking also about the tribe of Simeon. Now, Simeon doesn't disappear... I'm going to spend a side note here. We're going to go down a little rabbit hole. We know that the tribe of Simeon doesn't disappear because in the book of Revelation, Jesus has them numbered. It's only the tribe of Dan that's not mentioned in the book of Revelation. We've talked about that. So the Lord knows who they are. That is one theory. Another theory is that they went to the north. They went to the north with them. Uh, I will also tell you this. These tribal borders, borders of the nation of Israel, these are legal. These are legal borders, because the entire judicial system of the ancient nation of Israel is based off of certain tribes and certain lands. That's why in the book of Ruth you have a kinsman redeemer to get the land back and keep it in the family. It's about balance. Um, in the United States, our government is based on individual rights and the rights of an individual. Our, our legal system is based on inalienable rights given and endowed by our Creator, and they follow the individual. In the nation of Israel, it followed property and tribe. Why do I say that? Because people could move wherever they wanted to. They, they didn't go and have somebody from a tribe of Judah go walk up to the border of Dan and be like, well, I can't cross over here. In fact, if you look later on, When the ten tribes to the north break away, the Bible says that the Levites got up and moved to the south. All all of the Levites moved to the south. And so I, I don't want you guys ever to think when you're studying the Bible that all these different tribes didn't go in all these different places. Because people, they move, they migrate, they change, they adopt different cultures. 
And we want to have the foundations of understanding the 12 tribes, how they worked, how they operated, how the legal system of Israel worked, but also know that people do what people do. What does the Bible say? Nothing is new under the sun. So they would intermarry, they would intermingle, they would worship false gods, they would have false idols, and all those other things are happening. Well, let's go to verses 9 through 10 to get a summary of the rest of the chapter. So verse 9, it says, So the men went, passed through the land, and wrote the survey in a book in seven parts by cities. And they came to Joshua at the camp in Shiloh. Verse 10, Then Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord, and there Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their divisions. Well, you know what's interesting to me is that you ever given somebody um, some negative feedback? Have you ever told somebody like, hey, you're really lazy right now. You've been really lazy and you need to get up and start doing something. What do they usually say back? Oh, yeah, that sounds great. You're absolutely right. Yes, let me just do that. You know, for the nation of Israel, there's no griping here. They literally just, oh, okay, let's do that. They send their three guys out. They start making a record. They come right back. They cast lots. What were they notorious for in the 40 years in the desert? Complaining, griping, rebellion. Egypt, same thing, same thing. So for generations, but... When you're walking with the Lord, the closer you are to the Lord, your habits change, your thought life changes. The Bible tells us in Proverbs that a righteous man, a wise man loves correction, but the rod of instruction is wasted on the back of fools. The rod of correction is wasted on the back of fools. So if you're receiving correction, like, hey, you really should improve in this area, and you're receiving it, just like, yeah, let's do it then people are more willing to help you, to encourage you, and to teach you. If you kick back every single time somebody gives you a bit of criticism, especially in the Lord, like if somebody says, hey, you know what? You really shouldn't be drinking. Oh, I have liberty. You know, Jesus turned water into wine, and you're like 47 verses on why you should have the liberty to drink. It's like, okay, whoa, hey. You know, I just thought after your fifth DUI, you might not want to do that anymore. <laughs> Receiving some correction. Here, it just blew me away that they just did the thing. They just did the thing. The Bible says that the Word of God is proper for correction, reproof, and instruction. That's the Lord giving you correction and instruction through the Word of God. Imagine if every time you read the Bible and there was an application for your life, you just did it. What would your life be like? How would you be as a worker? How would you be as a wife, as a husband, as a leader, as a teacher, as a student, as an athlete? How would you be as an elder? How would you be as a human being if every time you received correction from the Word of God, you said, applied, I received it, I will correct it, and you did it? I think we'd have radically different lives, wouldn't we? All right, so give me some liberty here. Verses 11 through 28. We're not going to read them. That's your homework if you want it. He's going to lay out the tribe of Benjamin and its borders, and he's going to, in painstaking detail, explain the tribes of Benjamin's borders. How about I just show you the picture in a little bit instead? Deal? 
I, don't want, I know you guys get mad, you Bible students out there. You're expositional. You're supposed to read verse by verse. We're doing it verse by verse, just quickly, 11 through 28. All right, <laughs> verse 1 of chapter 19. The second lot came out for Simeon. So tribe of Benjamin, the previous verses. For the tribe of the children of Simeon, according to their families and their inheritance, was within the inheritance of the children of Judah. And then there's city after city after city after city after border. And so how about I summarize verses 1 through 48 for you guys? Are you you're all right with that? I don't want a rebellion. So verses 1 through 9 of chapter 19 are going to be the tribe of Simeon. You guys remember where Simeon is in the middle of the tribe of Judah? I'll show you the picture. Don't worry. Then verses 10 through 16 are the boundaries and cities for this tribe of Zebulun. Verses 17 through 23 are the boundaries of the cities for the tribe of Issachar. Verses 21 through, 24 through 31, the boundaries and cities for the tribe of Asher. 32 through 39 are the boundaries and the cities for the tribe of Naphtali. And then finally, uh, verses 40 through 48 are the boundaries and cities for the tribe of Dan. So we had Benjamin in chapter 18, and now we have Simeon, Zebulon, Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, and Dan. All their borders are being described. And imagine the excitement. Something completely new. You're going to go from this nomadic lifestyle that you've had for 40 years, that nobody's known any different. The kids were raised on uh, manna fruit loops every single day. That's what they ate. And then five years they've had war where they've been having these battles. They've been taking over this land. And now, for the first time ever, you're going to go and you're going to get property, and what you do with that property is up to you. Vineyards and having sheep and making markets and having banks and building houses, creating schools, creating uh, yeshivas where they're studying the, the Bible, having synagogues, going to the Levites, walking down to Shiloh and checking out the the tabernacle on the special feast days. All these things are going to be created from scratch, from brand new. And for some of us, you know, that have been walking with the Lord for a long time, we forget the excitement of creating a new life in Jesus Christ. You forget the excitement. I I remember with Megan, you know, reading things about, you know, Ephesians chapter 5, first time we read that. Hey, we should try this. We should try this out. All right. Says here, I'm supposed to love you as Christ loved the church. Don't know how to do that, but we'll try. Submit to your husband. I don't know if I can do that. But we were just figuring it out. Raising kids. Establishing a household. How to be a leader in a fellowship. What do you watch on television? What do you watch on YouTube? What are you reading? How's your conversation? I remember cleaning up. I I remember not having uh, rules for what my language is supposed to be like. I remember being convicted like, yeah, I should not talk like that anymore. To the point where now I get made fun of if I use even one of the light gray words at work, people are freaking out. And it's like, wow, what a testimony that God did that because that was not me. It is fresh and it's new and we're building something. Some of you guys are rebuilding a reputation. Some of you are building rep, uh, rebuilding relationships that were destroyed. It's fresh 
and it's exciting, and it's new. I want to encourage you. We walk by faith and not by sight, and nobody has figured this out. If you're a new believer in this room, and you're sitting around, you're just like, I'm the only moron here. Everybody knows what they're doing but me. I'm going to tell you a secret. None of us do. Wherever we are on our journey, it's brand new, and so be encouraged, just like the nation of Israel here. And even when we do have it figured it out, the Lord says, oh, I want new wine and new wineskins. Still wine, still wineskins. The formula doesn't change. We're not getting liberal here. Don't worry. We're conservative Bible Christians, but he does a fresh work, and he does it in a new way. And so I just want you to think about that because if we just list these names and territories, you just think, well, well, why bother? Well, we see there's a lot more. Well, I promise you, let's look at the, the, the areas now. So you have Asher and Naphtali, they're going to that area, Zebulon there in the middle, Issachar. Why is it that there's larger areas and smaller areas? I have no idea. They cast lots before the Lord. My guess is it has to do with the amount of people they had, what kind of territory it is. We'll look at the central portion now. This is the northernmost with Manasseh's center. Remember, they have East Manasseh as well. Ephraim's still there in the middle, but Dan gets squeezed right in there between Judah and Ephraim. And then you have Gad on the other side. Remember, Shiloh is going to be in the center to northern part of Ephraim, where all the tribes have about an equal distance to get there to be with the tabernacle. And so overall, here's the entire area. Simeon, we talked about how they were placed in the middle of Judah. And think about them and think about establishing these areas and starting over brand spanking new with the Lord. And then I want to share with you something else. Because when we read the Bible like this and we read it just as it is, as we should, just clearly and concisely, it just seems so perfect. Like this is their property. This is where they are. This is the border. This is how it goes. You're forgetting a few things though. They did not drive out all of the Canaanites. Remember in the last few chapters, there's several cities that the Jebusites, they're still in charge of the area of Jerusalem. They don't get cleaned out until David comes, hundreds of years later. So even though this map looks nice and neat and clean, there's still Philistines, there's still Canaanites, there's still false gods, there's still false worship, idol worship, because they didn't complete the job. I'll tell you another secret. They're all filthy sinners. And wherever there's people, there's people problems. When we go into the book of Judges, you will be amazed at how far it falls and how fast. You know, we can do the same thing with our history in America. We can look at the founding fathers and we can look at our history and we can kind of gloss over it. But we forget there's conflict and trials and people and migration, different ethnicities and different cultures that came. And we, we forget about this migration and about the economic upheavals. And we see that there's nothing new under the sun. The Bible is speaking to all of us where we're at. He, his word is alive and is speaking to us just as freshly today and is not as neat and clean as what's often being taught. And so I thought that was very interesting and worth sharing. Well, you notice that the chapter's not over. There's more verses. And the Lord always has a way of sneaking some things in there, right? He will always reward you when you're faithful in the Word of God. And so a lot of times when you're, you're trying to force your way through some areas and you're in your daily Bible reading, you'll get to something like, I would never have found this. Well, here in verses 49 through 51, let's read them together. We're going to pick back up now. Chapter 19, verse 49. 
If you want to skip and you want to browse through all the things that I skipped for you guys and say thank you, you're welcome. Verse 49. When they had made an end of dividing the land as an inheritance according to their borders, the children of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. According to the word of the Lord, they gave him the city which he asked for, Timnath-Serah, in the mountains of Ephraim. And he built the city and dwelt in it. These were the inheritance which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel divided as an inheritance by lot in Shiloh before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So they made an end of dividing the country. Joshua, what a journey this guy's been on. He came out of Egypt. He was one of the spies into the promised land. He said, let's go. There's giants, him and Caleb. They said, let's go. We'll take it. The other 10 spies said, no, 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 no. We can't do it. And then Joshua, all 40 years, walked with the nation of Israel. He was faithful. And then at the very bank of the river, the Jordan, Moses dies up in the mountain. Remember, he went up for that walk. And then after all those years, he is used by the Lord to lead him into the nation of Israel. Then five years of conflict, they've taken over. All the tribes are divided. Every single one gets their property. And absolutely dead last, he gets his inheritance. And I think, wow, what a great example of leadership. And so I want to spend some time just talking about that. Leaders eat last. Leaders do not go first. Leaders are not about me. Leaders are about others. They empower others, encourage others, they teach others, they protect others. And at the detriment of themselves. They don't put themselves first in front of others. And he's very dead last. And that begs the question, where do we get these principles of leadership? We know that they're tried, true, and tested over generations. Nothing has changed. Nothing is new. And we see that we get these lessons of leadership from Jesus Christ himself, from God. What, what, what are some of the attributes of Jesus that he put others first? Over his own life, he gave himself as a ransom for many. Jesus is strong, but he is also meek. He is not weak. No, he is no coward. He is able to endure incredible things. And he is able to stand up against government. He's able to stand up against religion. He's able to stand up against mobs. And he's also willing to turn the other cheek. He's strong and he is meek. He's, he has strength under control. He is caring. He is strong, but he is caring. He takes care of the weakest, the most unfortunate, those that are that are cast off. He goes out of his way to minister to them. What else do we see? He is uncompromising with truth. Jesus never compromises with truth, but he never uses truth as an excuse to just put people down. But he's uncompromising. He's not harsh. He has a soft word, but he has strength. He is able to go up against the crowd, even when it's for the crowd's benefit over himself. He will stand up. Jesus invests and teaches his others. He shows others the way. Even when they criticize his leadership, 
criticize his motives, don't understand what they are instructing, what he's instructing them in, he continues to pour himself out to teach and to help others. And that we already said that he looks out for the weakest and most vulnerable. He goes out of his way. Over and over and over again, we see that the true example of leadership is our Lord Jesus himself. And it's exemplified in his word. And we see it here with Caleb. Not a word of, well, I crossed over the Jordan. I was here the first time. I should get the best place. I should get the best seat. Where's my roads should be named after me. Towns should be named after me. Let me get my property and then whoever's left here can get theirs because I would have had my property 40 years ago if it wasn't for all your backstabbing, complaining. I had the faith. No, he doesn't do any of that. He was always willing to play second fiddle to Moses. He was always willing to be obedient to the Lord. He was always faithful. He went to battle. He went to war. He sacrificed himself. And then he's listed very, very last as when he gets to settle down and retire. Ultimately, this is an example for those of you that are here that are called to the faith. If you're called to serve Jesus Christ for your life, your reward is not on this planet. It's not even in this life. Your reward is in his presence at the table. And then you'll just be happy to have a seat like me. Because we don't live for this life. We don't live to be glorified here on this earth. We don't live here or serve here and suffer here and are criticized here and have the enemy come against you here. And all those things, you don't do those things to be glorified by men. That, that perishes anyway. You do it so that when you see the Lord Jesus face to face, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Servant, not ruler, not king, not popular one. You're last, you're dead last. And you know why? Because Jesus was last. He gave his life as a ransom of many. Everyone betrayed him and turned his away from him, and he never faltered, he never wavered, he was never, un- never compromising, always full of truth. The world wants to teach us that Christians are weak, that they're hypocrites, that they're liars, they're con men, that the Bible is a bunch of fables and it's not applicable, that we have to go to modern education and modern science. And yet, when we see leadership in business or in politics or in the military, and you look at it and you say what a real leader is, you realize it's based off of biblical principles, not worldly principles. And we see, yes, there is nothing new under the sun. Look at Israel itself to look at the leadership of God. We just talked about the 13 tribes. Remember that little study? There's really 13 of them. Two half-tribes count for one. And we look at them, and they all have their, their land now. Why? Do they deserve their land? How, did they win their battles? They had to fight them, but no, God gave them the He told them before they even go in there, I've delivered this land into you. Was it their faithfulness in the 40 years of the desert? You guys remember the serpents, the snakes that were biting, they had to put up. You guys remember when they said the manna wasn't good enough? They wanted quail. You guys remember when they tried to kick Moses out and the earth opened up? You remember when they crossed over the Red Sea? You know, when God destroyed the mightiest nation on the earth and killed the Pharaoh in the water, what did they say? We'd rather go back. You're trying to kill us out here. Remember when they were in Egypt? 
And they had the, the plagues, and they're like, Moses, what are you doing? It's worse for us here. The nation of Israel was a bunch of backstabbing, complaining, disloyal people. You know, just like you and me and all of us. But God is faithful. He led the nation of Israel. So we're in Joshua chapter 19 this evening, and we're seeing that God fulfilled every promise that he made to the nation of Israel. That's why these lands are important. He's going to fulfill every promise in you because he's a great leader. He's our exemplar. He's perfect. He never fails. He never changes his mind. He never reneges on a promise. And the scripture says that all things work together for the good for those that love him. He keeps his promises. None of them deserved it. But here they are on their new farms and their new lands with their new towns and their new property, probably thinking, man, we really deserve this. And there's Joshua dead last going to his property. And there's Jesus thinking, and the kingdom, you're all going to betray me anyway. You're going to worship false idols. You're going to turn away. The tabernacle is going to lay fallow. But I'm going to send you judges. And I'm going to send you prophets. And I'm going to send you my son, myself. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. Gosh, how great is our God? How great is the word of God? So let's spend the rest of this evening in prayer, seeking after him, speaking with him, talking with him. We pray that you're encouraged in the Word of God and also encouraged in prayer. Just pray one at a time, loud enough that we can all hear. Let's go before the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your Word. And we thank you not only for your written Word, but for giving your Word to us, because we know you are always faithful. How exciting it is to be in your Word and in your presence. And we pray that you would lead us in prayer this evening, that we would be growing in you as we exercise faith, and speaking to you aloud. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.